Dang, look at this guy's check every two weeks. I'm not sure what the show is rated. I think it's safe to say that that has not been on any baseball podcast. Reporters are like, will you throw on a knuckleball? I'm like, no, dude, it's called gravity. Welcome to episode four of Digging In with J.P. and Sebia. I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne. Today we're joined with Luke Maley, the Blue Jays' red-hot catcher, and J.P., is joining us from sunny Maui at close to six in the morning. So that just shows the level of dedication he's putting into this podcast, I think needs to be appreciated and acknowledged because if I were in Maui right now, I'm not sure how much I'd be wanting to be behind a mic. For for the people. I'm a, I'm a person for the people. That's why I, I'm actually too much of a people pleaser. That's why I was... So worried about striking out all the time and missing knuckleballs and everything that came along with it because I was worried about, you know, letting people down. But not me. I'm here. I'm sunburned only on one side of my body, which is pretty interesting. I don't know how the heck that happened yesterday, but we get into some good stuff with Luke because Luke, if we had an episode for a few hours of sitting down and having a couple uh, cold beers, this dude is probably one of the most interesting men after John Gibbons. Today, we are going to start off by talking a little bit about, you know, a Blue Jays team that's in shambles would be an exaggeration, but certainly struggling. And, you know, a lot of it is sort of beyond their control to some extent. They've got a couple pitchers on the DL, things like that. Donaldson um, perhaps still struggling with the shoulder thing. But one issue that may be correctable in a sense is the whole Kendris Morales issue, which seems to be coming to a head. So, with guys coming back from the DL, a Steve Pierce, a Randall Gritchuk, eventually the question is going to need to be asked, do the Blue Jays cut bait on Kendris Morales even with close to $20 million left on his contract? Is that something, JP, you could see them doing? And is that something you think they should do? Um, here, Here's the reason why I say no. And this is something because we had conversations down in the Rogers Center Obviously, I speak Spanish, so I got to get into a good conversation with him. And the one thing he told me is we were talking about his, his eye issue. And he says that he's he can't see out of his right eye, which is your dominant eye when you're batting lefty, right? And so th- it, that was something we were talking because I had a, a similar problem in 2009, and people can can look into this. I went, My first year in, in A-ball or in the pro ball, I hit – 300 with 28 homers and 105 RBIs. Well, my second year was in AAA in 2009, and I hit 212 uh, like halfway during the year, and then I finished off like 236. But I had a really bad stigmatism, uh, and I could not wear contacts. It didn't help me. So I had to try to wear glasses. Glasses couldn't – I couldn't hit with the glasses, so I just said, forget it. I'll try to battle this year and get LASIK at the end of the year. Well – I go and get LASIK at the end of the year. Next year, I come back and I'm the MVP and I'm in the big leagues in 2010. Uh, so that was one thing for me. And I saw the ball literally like a huge amount of difference. And so me and him got into it and we were talking about the LASIK. And he and he was very, very adamant about, okay, give me the information because I got it done with the Miami Heat doctor in Miami. And he was like, please, I need, I need to be able to at some point figure this out because – that's something I think that, you know, you, you kind of look into. And, dude, if you can't see a base, it's hard enough to hit a baseball. Now you can't see a baseball and you're having trouble with one of your eyes seeing a baseball. That's something for me that says there's a huge issue. He didn't just all of a sudden become a lemon 
after being who he was. I mean, the dude had a he was a good produce uh, producer last year. So I say no. You're gonna you might have to kind of take some of the punches this year um, because it is what it is. But he's a guy who I think he needs to – maybe they put him on the DL. Maybe they do something. Let him go and get a procedure done. Fix that eye. Usually takes a month to recover. Boom, and he's back, and you get a different uh, Morales. But I don't think you can give up on him because when he's going good, I mean, this guy's a 30-homer-plus 30, 30 and 100-RBI guy. So I, I think there's definitely something to that if there is a procedure that can be done that – you know, your confidence is going to be better for him. He did try the glasses. It seems like that didn't really work. Um, glasses him. suck, dude. They suck. They're really not easy to play with. And the thing is that maybe you can send him away for a month. But the problem for me is that at the end of the day, the DH spot is so valuable in terms of cycling guys through, guys that need rest, guys that maybe are playing through something, guys who are a little older. And the Blue Jays have a lot of these kind of guys. And it seems to me that, you know, he's occupying this spot that they really need, you know, more even more so even than other teams need that spot. And for me, that's where I start to think about, is it possible to cut bait on this guy? Because maybe you're right, maybe he does get better. But at the end of the day, I think that that's a spot they need, especially, you know, to ensure guys like Teoscar Hernandez still have a spot on this team. And as, you know, you get Pierce and Granderson, maybe those guys are platooning a DH instead. It just, I think that really opens it up. Here's how you handle that, though. Put him on the DL, gets gets taken care of, you put him on the 60-day DL, and then he's he you don't have to worry about him. Once he's on the 60-day DL, you're good. That's, that's the way, I mean, the conversation I had, the eye it has been a pretty big issue for him, right? So if that's the case, Blue Jays, put him on the DL, put him on the 60-day DL because he has to get surgery, and then you bring up whoever the heck you want. I understand. I 100% agree with you. There has to be something to be done because you can't wait. Right now, The where, where they're at with their record and with the way the AL East is and the American League, you really can't wait to just, okay, hey, is he going to get going? Is he going to get going? A hundred percent. I w- you, you don't want to f- solely cut ties because there's ways that you can do it. Because if you solely cut ties, you're still paying the dude, right? You're still you're still hung up on his contract. So that's one thing for me is you have to go. Okay, well let's keep him because maybe he can be back to the Kendris Morales that we know. But let's DL him, put him on, and and have somebody either then make a trade or bring somebody up. Whatever they need to do. But I agree with you. The DH is that in the American League. The DH is so, so huge. And it's even bigger. Think about DHs around the league, right? When you had like a, a, a guy named David Ortiz who you had to face every single day who's going to drive in 100-plus and hit over 30 homers. I mean, you look at DHs. DHs are guys that are going either off as a hitter every single year or like you said, you shuffle the guys around. Okay, Stanton, we're going to give you a day off. Hey, Judge, we're going to give you a day off. Hey, Gary Sanchez, we're going to give you a day off. You give these guys, but you still keep their bat in the lineup. So whoever they want to put in that position, you can put in that position. But the DH is is so valuable that I believe the reason why guys pitch really well in the National League and not as good in the American League is solely because of a designated hitter. Yeah, and that the designated hitter needs to be someone who's a presence in your lineup. Like I could envision a scenario where your boy Solarte is DH and Travis is back because he's figured it out. Things like that could happen. 
Yeah, would help the lineup. That would be that would be huge. And like you said, even Donaldson, right? Donaldson, hey, your shoulders a little banged up. Boom. Let's throw you. Let's give you a, a DH day. Hey, maybe we're facing a righty. We need more lefties. Curtis, we'll throw you in a D. You know, whoever, however you can do it. But I agree, man. There, they have to. There's something that has to be done now. Obviously, listen. There's tough stretches in baseball. It's a long season. But the way that it's kind of trending right now, they have to be able to do something. And I know everyone's going to say, oh, yeah, bring up Vlad Jr., blah, blah, blah. That's not – It's there's a different – It's you can't get selfish with it, right? You have to understand that there's a different equation to how this all works. And so they're going to have to figure out what to do. But you're right. DH is, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest part of the American League in the sense of somebody who can go out there and every day you pencil them in the lineup and you go, dang, the other team's going to have to face this guy. Have fun. Yeah, and you know, and that's the thing that's tough about Morales is that he just, you know, he isn't able to contribute in any other facet of the game. So when he's not hitting, it just it stands out like this big sore thumb. So I kind of want to ask you how the money plays into that from a player's perspective because when a guy is not performing, is there ever like a – Wow, look at this guy over here making eleven million, and like I'm I'm way better than this guy. Or like this that kind of frustration between teammates when a guy real gets to a point where he's you know, and I, I don't want to totally bury this guy as a guy because I've only heard great things about Morales as a teammate, and uh, there's actually a really good feature by this guy David Singh at Sportsnet about how great he is at picking up pitchers' tendencies and helping other guys in the lineup. So I don't want to take any of that away, but when a guy is hurting the team. Do you ever get other teammates who are kind of like rolling their eyes and like, oh God, not this again? Well, maybe maybe guys that are douchebags they think like that, uh, and and unfortunately maybe that's the case. I wasn't one of those guys. As a player, you're always excited for somebody to get paid, right? I always want guys to get paid and have an opportunity to to do well and do well for their family and all that stuff. And so when they're struggling, you're not like, oh, this guy's making all this kind of money. It's almost for me, at least, it was almost kind of the complete opposite, right? I was like, dang, this dude's got a guaranteed $20 million coming in his way, and he's not doing well at all. Imagine if that was the case for every job, right? Like, hey, Nick, listen, no one likes the work that you're doing. No one wants to read it. No one cares about it, but we have to we you have to keep on doing it because we're paying you a ton of money. No, and all, and, and all pretty much parts of life they go all right you're fired and then you have to figure out where you get the money so if you think about it you're actually kind of like with prince fielder when i was in texas with prince fielder prince fielder is one of the best dudes i played with phenomenal guy was struggling i don't know if you remember that 2014 he was not doing good at all this guy was making 200 he's making over 200 million dollars in a contract i wasn't like dang dude this guy's got to be tough i was like Dang, look at this guy's check every two weeks. It's freaking ridiculous. It's like Monopoly money. So that's why, I mean, there might be guys that are like, oh, I'm better than this guy or whatever. I play me. And I and that that happens with everything. But when it, when it comes down to the money part, shoot, everybody's like, get yours, man. It's it's Again, it's guaranteed, right? So he's making all that regardless. And if people don't know, the only way, let's say the Blue Jays release him, and this is something people don't really understand a lot. So Blue Jays release him, boom. He's still making every, he can go home and make every single penny. But if any team signs him, the only thing that they have to pay is the league minimum. So let's say he's making 15 million. If I sign him, 
I'm the J. Pierre and Sebia Blue Jays, and I sign him. Now all I have to do is pay him the league minimum, which I think is like 500 something. And so I'm only having to pay that little bit of his of his contract, and then the Blue Jays, the big Blue Jays, the Toronto Blue Jays, have to pay the rest of it. So that's, I mean, dude, it's for Kendris. I'm not, I'm not mad at the dude in the sense of take it. But no, no, with money, it's not a big. It's guys don't get pissed off because of oh he's making all this money. It's just you know you're like hey okay this guy's making money who the hell cares about what money he's making. I want to win, and so let's throw somebody in there that's going to produce. The only thing I would, the, where I would flip that is it's kind of the same thing for the team, right? Like they've paid that, that money is already paid. So whether he plays or not, in a sense, it doesn't, like it, that's a sunk cost. So if they figure, man, this guy can't help us anymore, there's no way of getting that money back. So in a sense, they don't really need to worry you, about that no, money. No, you can't. You can get that money back, actually. You can if you trade, if, he, if you keep him. Yeah, and good, say, good luck trading him though. You know, yeah, a guy okay, who plays but I'm no saying positions if, makes that money. But if oh, I know, but if you're if you're but yeah, but you you get some money back. It does I didn't say the full thing, but if he goes, let's say next year you bring him back, bam, Kendris goes off. Now he's a trade bait. Let's say whatever. You can trade him and now you get back five, five million. I mean, obviously in the grand scheme of things, five million to a, a baseball team is kind of like a few pennies, which is kind of embarrassing to say because that's, that's just how they toss money around. But it, that's the only way that you can get it back. But, yes, you're you're pretty much 98% accurate on that. All right. So I think where we both agree is that they need to make a move. If it were me, I think that I'm ready to give up. You're not. Again, that that's uh, pretty consistent with our optimist pessimist yeah, I'm, dynamic. I'm the positive, positive, much more positive chi out of me. Much more negative uh, poop emoji out of you. <laughs> All right. So our our guest, we're gonna get on the line with right now, Luke Maley, absolutely tearing it up at the plate and uh, has some interesting stories from his time with JP in the minor leagues as well. So on Sunday, you know, it was a pretty grim day, no doubt for the Blue Jays overall, but you had that kind of moment of levity with Kendris Morales coming out there and throwing some pitches. What is that like as a catcher to, like, do you go to the mound and be like, what have you got? Like, how does that interaction go when you're trying to figure out a guy who, like, not only have you never caught before, but isn't really a pitcher? And so how do you figure out the signs? How do you... Do you just like throw that target right down the middle and hope for the best? Like how, how is that experience from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, uh, that one was complicated on so many levels. Um, not the least of which was the fact that he's not the best English speaker in the world and I speak very little Spanish. So that part in and of itself was complicated. But the other thing that made it tough was he actually was on base to finish off the bottom of the eighth inning. And then I walked. So we were both on the bases when the inning ended. So he's in there looking for his glove. I'm trying to, you know, get my catcher's gear on and, you know, do all the things that you normally do trying to hustle back out onto the field. But on top of it, I got to find out what in the heck this guy is capable of doing with a ball in his hand on the mound. So in kind of like as fast as I could, while I was putting my shin guards on, just trying to figure out, hey, what, what are we doing? Is it just fastballs? And he's like, no. Like right away, he's like, no, I got two of the curveball. Three is the cutter, four is the change. I'm like, okay, guy, like, here we go. Yeah, sure. And then, of course, we go out there, and I'm warming him up, and I'm like, damn, he's this is actually pretty good. Like, I got to give it to him. He, he really does have four pitches right now. So 
it was it was fun. I mean, it was definitely the highlight of the day, um, as you said, on a, kind of a tough one for us. And and with you, <clears throat> what people don't realize too is is that on the flip side of it, talk about how hard it is to hit a position player because it's people don't realize like, oh, this guy should pitch because he threw one scoreless inning. But as a hitter, toughest thing to do. Yeah, I mean, as you and I both know, dude, I mean, I, I can remember a few times when we were in Durham together and uh, like Leonardo Reginato comes to mind, who's just throwing 80 miles an hour. He was a, a shortstop for uh, the Durham Bulls in 2016. And he came in, I think, twice and just carved everybody up. Like, was punching tickets, like, getting soft contact. It wasn't like he, people were hitting line drives off this guy and they were just catching him. I mean, he, he was really getting people out. And I, the reason is, number one, it's just, as a hitter, I mean, you, you only get so many, you know, at-bats a year where a guy's not throwing the ball 96 miles an hour with just a nasty slider. So it's a little bit in your head to start with about, you know, Hey, it, it, I can't. I can't let this guy punch me out. I can't get jammed off this guy. Like this is the time to get a double. This is the time to get a knock. Whatever. But I, I've actually been fortunate enough. I've only faced a position player one time, and I got a hit off of him. So it hasn't. I don't really have the monkey on my shoulder yet. You're bad. Yeah, I know. My fault. Yeah. While we're still on the topic, because there's only so much you can squeeze out of it. As a guy who's known for having a good arm, you had really good success gunning guys out this year, and kind of in your minor league career as well. What do you think you could do on a mound if uh, if Gibby made the call in the next couple of days for you to soak up an inning? Uh, I tell you what, I would take the spin off of it. I would throw knuckleballs for sure. Um, not that it's the best in the world, but that would be, I just think, so much fun because I, I actually got to be pretty close with a guy named Charlie Hager, who's a former knuckleball uh, pitcher. And when I was in Tampa, he was um, one of their pitching coordinators. And so I would mess with throwing this knuckleball like every day during batting practice, um, and I would be shagging fly balls in the outfield, I would just throw the knuckleball back into the infield, and I got pretty good at it. So if Gibby asked me to go out there, I would 1,000% be taking the spin off of it. Hey, speaking of knuckleball, last uh, a few episodes ago or last episode, I think we were going about me catching the knuckleball. You got the opportunity to to catch a few knuckleballs. Can you please – listen, because at least you have you have a good reputation of of catching – uh, being a great catcher defender, I wasn't the reputation great defender. Can you explain to people how freaking hard it is to catch a knuckleball? <laughs> I mean, no one made it look harder than you did that one year, uh, but <laughs> I appreciate it. I was over it. <laughs> oh yeah, you were so over it. Hey, we and the funny part was is you never caught him. Eddie Gamboa was his name in Durham, and you he, he always seemed to pitch to JP on these five o'clock. Sunday afternoon games where the shadows were absolutely brutal. The worst. A ton of fans, and, they're, and they're, there's no batter's eye. So I think one game he must have had like six or seven wild pitches, a few pass balls, just depending on how they scored it. Um, dude, it, it's not easy. I, I felt for you. I really did. It's not easy. And, and the thing, you know what's even harder is it's not just the catching it part. It's, dude, there's people on base. So if somebody decides to run, not only do you have to catch it, you have to transfer it and calm yourself enough and realize that you actually caught it with a different mid that you're not used to reaching into and then make a throw to second base or third base. It's not easy. Dude, you didn't even make that sound tough at all. I'm I'm expecting you to say it sucks. I mean, I, I have, like, anxiety about this thing, and you just were like, ah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess when the way I always looked at it was, What's the worst that's going to happen? Like, 
you're not supposed to catch the damn thing anyway. So, you know, it's, it's almost like a bonus if you do. And I just tried to look at it like that. But I mean, part of it was too, I got lucky a couple times because there was a few times where I caught him where he didn't exactly have his best one that day. And I just happened to be catching. And then these guys just happened to be popping it up. And everybody's like, oh, wow, I can't believe, you know, he's throwing it so nasty. Nobody can hit this guy. And you're still snagging. It's like, no, dude, like sometimes they just miss it. Well, listen, I appreciate you. You did not help me out at all with how tough it – I haven't been explaining how tough it is. You didn't help me one bit. So I appreciate you helping me on that. But we, when we talk about the, the podcast, obviously sometimes we like to get into stuff that people don't know. And uh, you did text me this, and uh, you brought up the Nair party. Do you want to do you want to explain a little bit of Nair party, and then I can get into a, a story later? But can you? I want to hear what are your thoughts on the old Nair party? Okay, so I got a couple clarifications. First of all, I'm I'm not sure what what this show is rated. I, we I mean, got explicit. It's fine. Good. We're totally we got okay. the E on right. there. It's good. Okay, that's awesome. All right, we got the E on there. Um, the second thing I got to clarify is I admittedly never took part in the Nair party. I was never in a position where I had to. But what a Nair party is, is any of um, the listeners out there that know, or maybe their ladies know what Nair hair removal is, um, there's a certain very sensitive part of the backside of the body that was supposed to, if you Nared it, bring hits and this was something and, and what you guys to understand is that jp was um he was kind of I, I don't know if it's fair i would call him kind of a big brother figure in 2015 when we were in durham together so he introduced this to me when i was kind of struggling and i was like no dude like that's the stupidest damn thing i've ever heard like i was just meat and potatoes didn't want any part of it and then it turns out that there was a few people in our organization that originated this a long time ago when them and JP were in a different spot. So I know JP's got some stories if you want to throw them out there, but that's kind of the baseline and that's the kindest way I can kind of, uh, kind of get this thing started. And he turned down, he turned down, dude, he turned down my Nair party, which was kind of, which was kind of sad, but, Okay, what's confusing uh, to me here is the word party, because that implies like a lot of people are doing it at once. Like what you're describing seems to be an individual superstition. Is this something where people are gathering and like, I don't know, what what's the party component I, of it? I, I'd like to think it, it could probably be both, I think. Wouldn't you say, Jeff? Yeah, and, I, and in Durham, there was actually a couple guys that, that partook in this. Uh, one of them uh, being, uh, I'll throw his name out there, Richie Schaefer. And he was <laughs> he was a guy who... Had a good year, but uh, yeah, it's it's it's. Listen, in the minor leagues, you can do. You, there's so many things to do to be able to get past the day. Like uh, Boog Powell, we got to have this guy that we played with who tried to insert uh, credit cards into cash uh, spots into vending machines. So there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that you try to get do, uh, and that happen in the minor leagues that are gonna probably never ever hit the mainstream but that's what's good about this is we could talk about those things well i mean i think i'm gonna not say any names out here hopefully this person isn't a listener but i had a university roommate who like swore by using nair for certain parts of his body and he seemed to indicate that it like really burned like he was really sacrificing to 
to clean himself up, whatever you want to, however you want to put that. So I think Luke, you made the right decision and I, in uh, not partaking. Well, I will say this, man. I mean, uh, I definitely made the right decision just from like a pride perspective. But if you go back and look at my numbers that year, I think that they would say differently. So, you know what? It's just kind of, it's a value statement, really. And hey, JP hey. wanted it. Richie Schaefer <laughs> wanted it. And guess what? Go look at their numbers. They they ended up having pretty good years. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, all right, talk to me. Now let's let's go. I see you go up top against Chris Sale and then Oppo Taco for a walk-off. First off, talk to me about going Oppo Taco and how amazing that felt to go walk off. But talk to me also about, you know, with your adjustments to the new style of, you know, how you told me you go, you're, you're trying to hit the ball in the air now, which is, it's been fun to watch you, you know, kind of from AAA to Tampa to then Toronto to see how, you know, how much further along you've come. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, there's really not a whole lot to say about it except that I'm trying to get the ball in the air, which to me, you know, everybody, I think what if there's one thing the listeners should take away from what I'm kind of getting into, it's that, you know, everybody has different muscles and, and different, you know, their brain kind of tells their muscles to do different things. Like, for example, I was always a guy that when I wanted to think about using my legs, I would crouch down. And for me kind of similar along those lines is when I wanted to hit the ball in the air, I became more aggressive. That was just, for whatever reason, I would just start swinging harder when I would try and hit the ball in the air. So I think more than anything, man, I've just kind of gotten to a good place where, um, you know, I feel aggressive. I feel like I'm trying to use my size and my strength up there. And the two homers that that came um, a couple weeks ago or whenever that was, it was just looking for the right pitch at the right time and, and executing it. So I, I hope more is to come, but uh, right now I feel like I'm in a good spot. So I'm going to do something here where I kind of totally stomp all over JP's question because uh, mainly to give him shit a little bit. But so one thing I noticed is early in season, like it's no secret that last year your numbers at the plate weren't where you want them to be. And this year they've been really, really good. It seemed like you'd come out and every, it seemed like every day people would ask you like, Luke, what's different today? Luke, Luke, how is it, you know, how, what is it do, you're doing this year that's making all the difference? Like, what is it? Is that something, a question that you get sick of? Because at a certain point, there's only so much you can say like, yeah, things are going well for me this year. I'm not trying to downplay the adjustments, but does that kind of wear on you when people are just like seem continually surprised that you're having success? Uh, no, I mean, it's definitely amusing. Uh, I mean, I've hit my entire life. And so you happen to come to a new team and, you know, first impressions are everything, no matter what walk of life you're in. So you make a first impression as bad as I did at the plate last year. And now all of a sudden everybody thinks that you're just a complete loser and have no clue up there. And then any time you hit the ball hard, it's like, Oh, how cute. Like, no, oh, you see little cute Lukey's got a face there. That's nice. So that 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 part is kind of funny to me. Like it makes me chuckle just because it's like, wow. Like I, you know, that's obviously not who I was last year. But okay, you know, if that's the story you guys want to run with, then you know, knock yourselves out. Um, it does it bother me? No, I mean it doesn't bother me. It's I I think people that know me best know that I'm a pretty tough guy to offend. One of the better and tougher mental guys that I've ever been around. This guy is you know, one of the more bulletproof guys. When you were catching Jay Happ, and, I'm, and I wanted to bring this up, I'm going to – I'm doing some stuff about this. You're putting the target up on the breaking ball, 
sometimes they're flashing it up. You know, obviously, explain how – I don't know for you if that's more of a – because you're throwing the fastball up and you're trying to, to confuse the guys on the right just in case they're, they're sending their, – they're, they're relaying it to the hitter. But talk about for a catcher how important that is as far as you setting up guys with just your glove, setting up guys with just your feet, because if they're trying to call the pitches from the side, you're obviously confusing them. Someone mentioned you guys were talking a lot about sign stealing in the previous podcast and about that uh, man in white who, um, boy, I can't, I wish I could give you his name. He's been so helpful for me this year, but uh, <laughs> no, you're, you're a hundred percent right. You, you have to like that. There isn't um, one time where there's not some sort of advanced scout or somebody in a dugout who, you know, usually it's a veteran guy that isn't trying to pick up on any advantage um, that you're giving them or, or that they can. So what I'll try and do every once in a while is just because I have a pattern. Everybody does. I mean, I'll usually move my right foot backwards a little bit is my first move when I want to go into a righty um, just to give the guy a little bit more space and give me room to block. So occasionally, you know, after I do that two or three times, I'll go ahead and move my right foot back like I'm going inside and then it'll be a change up away from a left-handed pitcher or whatever it may be. But as far as half is concerned, sometimes the breaking balls up are by design, not necessarily the curveball, but his cutter. Um, you know, I've been kind of falling in love with calling that up and in to righties just because they have to try and get um, his fastball started so quickly uh, or get, get their swing started on his fastball so quickly. So, Sometimes I like having that uh, cutter up there because there's no way if they get to it, they can keep it fair. Um, but there's a lot of little things that go into it, as, as you guys are, uh, I'm sure, aware of. And that's just one example of that. All right, Luke, I think that's all for us with you today. We really appreciate you going in on you know, some of the deeper baseball stuff and some of the more uh, bizarre hair removal-related minor league rituals. Yeah, I can't believe we got into it, but we did. We can have we can literally have an entire podcast of minor league stories with between uh, a Kore- a Korean player that we had and Boog Powell, and there's a lot of special people that we played with. Um, but those are those those might have to be for a later date. Yeah, we're gonna have to get into those at some point, and some good golf stories too, and uh, a couple good uh, golf stories with JP and uh, and the boys. So maybe next time. Win one tonight, win one tonight, and go have yourself a little uh, soda pop, a nice, a nice cold one. You know I always do, buddy. All right. Thanks a lot, Luke. Good talking to you guys. See you. All right. We're back from talking to Luke. Uh very interesting guy, very thoughtful guy. And, you know, he puts it out there. He wanted to know, he was very concerned about whether this had the E or not, whether we could be explicit. But once he knew that, he was ready to go. Yeah, he's definitely a guy you want to sit down and have a few beers with. Uh, he is a, a good dude. And I and I like to hear, it, it was a great question when you asked him about people asking him, like, what's the difference? What's the difference? Because as a competitor, you're like, F off, dude. What do you mean what's the difference? I've believed in this the entire time. And it's like it's almost like that that kid that's in a basketball game and they're up 30 points and everybody in the crowd is like trying is chanting his name so he can get out there and the guy scores a point and everyone goes insane. And the kid that's shooting's like, dude, I've been I, I know that I can shoot. Like, why is everybody you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. kind of like that. It's a bit condescending little, in a sense. Yeah, it is. It is. And so 
it's it's fun it's it's fun to hear him go like dude i've hit every single where i've been and so no nah, i i'm i'm just it is what it is like he's he he's a confident guy and he does he's confident on everything he does you know he talked he hit on the golf part he's a really really good golfer like i'm not kidding like this dude will steal money because he's really good golfer like he's good so everything he's done he's he he just has a, a good hand eye obviously he has insanely strong hands that's why he's a great great catcher which you know it's nice to see that he's able to to make some adjustments and now you know starting to hit the ball out of the yard which I think was really really the only thing for him that he needed to start do because start doing because he he can catch the dude has always been a phenomenal defender since I played with him but you, when you're the you, you need to at least pop a few out right and, and drive some runs he, as a backup catcher you don't have to hit a ton but it's fun to see that he's that he's crushing it now because He's had not only he's always going to be one of the better defenders, dude. I I actually look up to him big time as a defender. He is he is a lot better than people even or stats or whatever the hell could even show. But to see him hit now, it's it's been a lot of fun for me because he is a little bit like my uh, little brother. I and he's a guy who I like to watch from a game calling perspective. And again, you talk about there's not really a good way to quantify that, but there's some interesting stuff he does. Like last year, there's a game where he started off Jay Happ with 28 fastballs in a row. Like that's old school. Like you don't see that very much nowadays. I know Hap is like a fastball first guy, but still like to see him do that. And then there are games where he'll like have Estrada and just totally reverse and have Estrada throw way more changeups and fastballs. And he just does cool stuff. So if you watch Luke Maley carefully, there's a decent chance you'll see him try something interesting. Yeah, no, he's he's been he always is an outside the box thinker. Even when I was with him in AAA, I used to talk to him about certain things, and he he was very at the beginning I was like man this is a a weird way of calling a game but after a while you're like holy smokes this dude is he's, he's kind of like a little bit like of a mad scientist behind the plate he really really has a good idea of what he's doing and and listeners should watch I mean those are the little things that he does you know of of you switch your feet uh to to trying to throw off the other team or you put the high target or there's a lot of different things uh, that he does that are special and calling the game, like you said, you can't quantify it, but guys love throwing him because of how creative he is behind the plate. All right, before we move away from Luke, you wanted to touch on and expand on the Nair party a little bit because Luke was aware, but he was not a participant, whereas uh, you were a little bit deeper in the reads of that. Yeah, it, it was funny because he brought it up when we brought the podcast uh, to him, and so he... I was like, okay, well, let's talk about it because this is something that's funny. But so where Nair Party started, down the line, they did used to go everybody. There would be a guy, a bunch of guys that would Nair up, and it was like this whole like dumb, dumb thing that they used to do way before my time. Well, now here comes my time in AAA. In 2010, I start off slow. So somebody brings it to me and says, hey, listen <laughs> – on the bottle, they had it taped, and it, and they wrote on the tape, Rally Nair, right? <laughs> so I'm like, what the heck is this? He's like, just trust me. It's eight minutes. Put it on, eight minutes, and just get ready. So, of course, I get naked, and I apply the Nair to the areas that it's supposed to be applied to, which is on, in the, mid, the lower part of the midsection and the higher part of your legs, and... I swear to you, right? I do this. I'm laughing because I feel it, it feels ridiculous. It's 
for anybody who's ever done it, when you're used to having hair and you don't have hair, like in the sense of wherever the heck you put it, it's just weird walking around. There's a lot of stuff. And so that game, I go four for four, two home runs, and a double, okay? And I don't look back. Dude, from that day that I did the rally there, I go 400 for one month, 400 for one month in, in AAA. At the All-Star break, I'm hitting 325 with 25 home runs. And all, a lot of the damage was done post-rallying there. So, dude, I was like, you know how it is. Something happens, you're like, dude, this is this is legit. So when guys would start to struggle, I'd say, hey, I, I somebody brought this to me one time, and it worked. And so here it is. And all of a sudden, you got dudes kind of going out there and – doing this rally there because I told them about it and then guys would have success or it wouldn't happen but it was just something that it's it's funny because you have to picture guys in the minor leagues trying to they're trying to get to the big leagues so you're doing anything you can to get to the big leagues and so somebody says hey dude rally there you put this I'll just say it you, you put this on your taint in your butt and it's and you're gonna start hitting and you're like okay so and here's the funny part is is where guys and this people might get a little grossed out by this but where where you you fart and it muffles the hair muffles the fart when you rally near your butt there's no hair and so it just becomes there's no more like sneaking in a quick fart and no one can hear it it's like it's just straight like it, cheeks clapping see this this podcast you find out all all the things about what happens. That's something that happens in the minor leagues I and in the big it, leagues too. I think it's safe to say that that is uh, has not been on any baseball podcast that I've ever heard. We'll put it Dude, that we're way. gonna we're gonna get into stuff that there's not gonna ever be in in the podcast because we I'll just we're gonna dig in deeper. There's a lot of things and a lot of people that I've been around and a lot of things that go on that. It's, we'll never we'll never tell stories that are going to hurt anybody, but there's a lot of funny stories of things that people do uh, that have never been heard of. All right. I feel like you just walked us down memory lane and in a arguably uncomfortable way just there, but it is Did a, it make you uncomfortable? I don't that know. Last part, no. Was it uncomfortable? Because no. it's pretty funny when it happens. No, I mean... I understand. I get it. I get it. You're I just a hairy, even, you're you're a big hairy. You got a lot of hair on your face. You know, I, I can no, see. No, I've got I've got hair. On. There's no there's no question that there's hair in and around Nick Ashbourne. Um, maybe that's why that store is more visceral for me. Um, <laughs> okay, so we're gonna walk down memory lane because we've talked a lot about Morales in this episode and about him as a hitter and a pitcher, and we wanted to get your thoughts on your pitching appearance with the Texas Rangers and another one people don't know about in the minor leagues. So you've done it twice. You've pitched twice. And uh, one of them in the big leagues was successful. It was a scoreless inning. The other one in the minor leagues, you got touched up a little bit. How did those come about? And uh, what are your sort of, you know, best recollections and what did you enjoy about that experience? Well, shoot. One of the weirdest things, and this is something you don't think about, one of the weirdest things was looking at a field from a pitcher's perspective. I've only ever looked out to a field from behind the plate. So all I've ever seen is the outfield stands and the batter's eye. And so I stood on home plate and I was like, or on the pitcher's mound, and I'm going, what the heck? This is, look at all these people back here. Because you don't really know, I mean, the it's, my back's to it, right? So that was one thing that I thought was like, whoa, this is really cool to the pitcher's perspective. But 
Um, in Texas, we were getting blown out, and they're like, hey, you want to pitch? And I was like, hell yes, I want to pitch. This is awesome. I a win I If they hit me, I'm supposed to get hit, so it doesn't matter. There's no pressure. And so I went out there, and I was able to uh, get out of the inning. with. I got one hit, and the last guy that I faced was Sean Rodriguez, who I grew up playing with since I was like three years old. So I thought that was kind of fun uh, to be able to get him to pop out the last at bat. But the, the I'm moving through this quick because the one the triple A one is the one that I pissed off about because in the big leagues I have a zero ERA in triple A, not so much bad ERA in triple A. And so I'm facing another guy right that I've I've played with his brother. He's a Miami guy, Chris Marrero. I played with his brother forever, and so now I'm facing him at AAA. I'm at the end of my career. He's on the way up, and bases are loaded. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to throw this guy a first-pitch curveball just for fun because there's no way, right? So the catcher puts down one for a fastball. I shake my head, but I'm I'm throwing a curveball anyways. I don't care. Like you're, I'm not. It's not nasty that you can't pick it up. So throw the curveball, and he hits a grand slam. And so I'm laughing because I'm like, this SOB. But I come in the dugout and I try to pretend that I'm pissed off. I'm like, you got to be shitting me. How does this guy know that I have a curveball? There's no way that that's on my freaking scouting report. So I'm like get, I'm like pretending that I'm super mad. But I was laughing because I was like, dude, the only time that I ever tried to throw a curveball, which was obviously it's not going to be a good curveball, this dude hits a grand slam off me. So it was kind of funny. I got my butt kicked in AAA. So when people ask, I'm like, dude, I was so much better of a pitcher in the major leagues. Like, it's easier to pitch in the major leagues. The one thing that was funny is you, if you look at Twitter uh, back then when it was going on, everyone's like, oh, oh shit, JP Aaron C was throwing knuckleballs in the big leagues because the pitches were like coming in at like 73 or whatever. But it turns out they're just fastballs. You were just creeping them in slowly there. Yeah. Well, here's the reason why, too, is. One of my good friends grow, uh, playing in college, Andy Simonick, he pitched in AAA, right? Or, uh, excuse me, he played. He was a position player, got to AAA, and they had him do the same thing, mop up in, in the minor leagues. And, of course, some, as competitors, you go out there and you try to gas it up, right? You want to see how hard you throw. Well, he gassed it up and blew out his elbow, had to have Tommy John, and was released and never played baseball again. So, for me... When I went on that mound, the one thing I said is, I'm not getting hurt out here. This is not what I get paid to do. So I was just going to toss it in. And so I was literally just throwing it in. And that's what reporters are like, were you throwing a knuckleball? I'm like, no, dude, it's called gravity. I was throwing <laughs> 73 miles an hour. So the ball has to come down. I mean, it, you you did play again. So it, it was a better strategy than going full out. I, I do get that, though, because I think – it's a common experience. People want to know just how hard they can throw. Like even at like a carnival or whatever, that stupid thing, they set up like a ball on the thing and any like, you know, average Joe weekend warrior wants, they want to go and see what they're going to do. And they're almost always disappointed. I never did it because I, I didn't want to know. Like I didn't want to know how, how shit oh, I you was. Didn't want it. Yeah, <laughs> you didn't like want I had it. a sense and I was like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, again, that was, the, that's the one thing, dude. I, you're like, dude, I don't, yeah, I want to see how hard I could actually throw, but no, I don't want to get hurt. And so that was that was kind of the reason why I was throwing so slow. I, w- I wish I'd done in retrospect. I actually, uh, you know, as a, I don't know how much the listeners care about my arm action, but I remade my, my throwing motion for the purpose of dodgeball recently. And uh, I think it really added a few ticks. So I, maybe I'd do it again now if I had a shot. Don't ever, ever, <laughs> ever bring up your arm motion for dodgeball on a baseball podcast. It's going to make me throw up. 
<laughs> All right, we're going to finish up this episode the way we always do, which is JP Career Trivia. So far, you're sitting at three for seven. As uh, that's You're approaching 500. You've been good the last couple episodes. This one is hard, but... Uh, you have a possible, I'm going to make it out of one and you can get as many as three points. So you could go three out of one on this, which is, you could really get yourself back in the game. Okay. Wow. I can go three out of one. That sounds weird, but okay. Well, just cause like when I did the sacrifice no, I hit one, saying. I put you in a hole and this one, I'm just like, if you get any of them, it's going to be, it's going to be good. So right, perfect. Last week I promised it would be a positive one. So I just thought the place I'm going to start looking is JP's home runs. So this is a question okay. about one of your home runs. So okay. I was looking at your home runs by count, uh, which is kind of an odd way to do it. A lot of first pitch home runs, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to see what was the longest at bat you'd ever had that resulted in a home run. And so it turns out there's a bat you had that was 10 pitches and it ended in a home run. And other than that, you were never more than seven. So if you can give me the team, the pitcher, or the season, I'll give you a point for any of those. Uh, and then if you can remember, describe that you're kind of like biggest and most triumphant duel in your MLB career. Well, I can tell you exactly when it was. It was 2012 against the Oakland A's, and the pitcher was Jim Miller. That is three for three. You are back on track. You're six for eight now after that. Well, and the reason why I know that is because after that home run, I took the foul ball. I was I was on pace to have the best year of my career, and I was I had hit four straight homers. Uh, that was the fourth game in a row I'd hit four, a home run. And then next, the next game I took a foul tip and broke my hand and I was out and it kind of hurt that year. But so during that at bat, I'm facing this guy and I'm feeling good and I don't know much about him, but he had a fastball that was like one of those kind of get on you pretty good quick. He didn't throw that hard. He threw like 91, 92, but it kind of got on you a little bit more. And so we got three, two. And it was fastball, foul off, fastball, foul off, fastball, foul off, slider, foul Like I, f I kept on fouling off all his pitches. And again, I was in such a good mental spot that I was like, this guy, I'm going to get this guy at some point. And so he threw me a slider and I got it out in front. And as soon as I hit it, I knew it was a home run. It was kind of cool, but I just, the, I remember it because, I mean, I I, I only know that that was the, the, the one because... I felt like that was the longest at-bat that I ever had, obviously, with a home run. You kind of remember those. Most of the time, I've had a lot of at-bats that they end up in a strikeout or an out or a walk versus Verlander to to ruin his his perfect game. But, um, yeah, that was that was one that was big to me too because then the next day I broke my hand and it was, it was the worst because, again, I was like, man, I'm feeling so good. I'm going off. This is a great year for me. And then, pacow. When you're facing a guy like that, and how many pitches does it take for you to feel like, oh, I like, I know exactly what this guy's gonna throw. Like, I feel like I'm, like, because every pitch, and they've done studies on this. Like, every pitch gives a hitter an advantage at a certain point, other than sort of like oh one, oh two. But like, the more pitches you go into those deep at bats, the greater the advantage for the hitter is. Yeah, no doubt. Um, a bit. The biggest thing is, is when you know what his off speed looks like, right? Because the fastball. I can get ready to hit a fastball at any point, but if I don't know what his slider does, what his changeup does, if you have to know his secondary pitches because if I see them, the more I see them, if he throws me two fastballs and I go down 0-2 and he throws me a slider, there's a good chance that I'm not going to have good success against it because I haven't ever seen it. But if he throws me 
one slider and I'm O two. Now I'm like, well, okay, I saw his fastball and his slider, so I'm not too worried about it, right? Like that's why too, when you see pitchers starting pitchers, sometimes, and I'm sure this could be the thing with Jay Happ that one time was you try to use as little as you can first time through. You try to use as little as you can first time through. And then as the game continues, then you continue to do more stuff. As as the game continues, you continue to do, okay, I'm going to throw more breaking balls or I'm going to throw this. But you try to let the hitter see as least amount of pitches as they can before their second at bat or third at bat because then now if I didn't show them the slider on the first at bat, maybe I can strike them out in the second at-bat with it, or if I didn't show it to him in the first and second at-bat, now the third at-bat base is loaded. If he comes up, boom, now I'm getting him slider. So that's why that's so important. So I did want to, when I first saw this, my first thought was, okay, who is Jim Miller? Because I wanted to know if I should be giving you credit or uh, giving you shit for the guy not being good. But Wait a second, wait a second. I, if you're going to go into how good of a pitcher is, anybody who plays in the big leagues, who pitches in the big leagues and has a big league uniform is above average stuff. So don't give me the old Okay, shit I was about to give you credit, great... though. Here's the, here's the thing that he, Jim Miller pitched 48.2 innings that year with a 259 ERA. So Jim Miller was a shutdown reliever for the A's in 2012. Fun fact, he only pitched less than 20 other innings in his career. But that one year you ran into him, that was the hardest year of Jim Miller. So I wanted to give you credit for that. No, no, but here's the thing. I'm, I, I, Thanks for the credit, but I'm going to shut you down like you shut me down on my post question with Luke. And I'm going to tell you that anyone, for the, for the sake of this podcast and anyone listening, if you put on a major league uniform and you're a pitcher in the big leagues, you're a good pitcher. You're above average and you got nasty stuff. Now it's the problem is is can they contain and control the nasty stuff, which is what makes them a great pitcher or – a triple A pitcher or a nine to five worker. All right. So I think I've learned my lesson in the sense that like, don't give you credit for anything because it's only going to come back at me. Uh, Next week's JP career trivia, you can bet is going to be a nasty one. Um, And I think that's, you know, that's about it for us today. I hope you guys continue to listen, subscribe. There's on a million channels. I know you guys can find it. And uh, we're going to continue to talk about baseball Maybe less so about hair removal, but it, could it come up again? Maybe. I'm not ruling it out. Listen, this is a free-for-all here. Whatever we, whatever goes, goes. We just – it's like sometimes what happens in, uh, in, in tougher situations, you just go, hey, whatever happens, happens, and that's this podcast. All right. So be ready for more of the same if that's where it takes us, and uh, we appreciate you listening in. 